Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, October 1st, and we're following up on a company that recently went public. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and on today's episode, we'll be airing an interview with Blend Lab CEO, Nima Gamsari. Industry focused listeners might remember the name from our July 23rd episode, where we went through Blend's S1. The company provides the software infrastructure for financial institutions, and full contributors Brian Feroldi and Brian Stoffel recently spoke with Nima about the aha moment behind Blend Labs, how financial services can be a massive part of consumer mobility, and why the usage-based software model is the future. Enjoy. Today, we are lucky enough to have with us Nima Gamsari. He is the CEO and founder of Blend Labs, a recently IPO company. And um, Nima, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we start off, I always like to think about it this way. We have a lot of investors that come from a lot of different places in the world when they are looking at companies to invest in. And it's easy to just start getting into jargon and definitions, and a lot of that can go over people's heads. So my question to you is, you walk into a classroom of kindergartners, and you have to explain to them what Blend Labs does. What do you tell them? Well, I would start with the the underlying premise that the world is changing faster than ever. Uh, 10 years ago, watching movies involved going to a store and renting a DVD. As crazy as that sounds, and now they open their iPad and they can watch any movie in the world pretty much in a few taps. And the same with transport. You know, the kids, a kindergartner today won't ever have to experience hailing a cab in the old fashioned way, calling a cab, a yellow cab number, the old fashioned way. Just that that world has completely changed. Everything's going digital. And actually with COVID, now that everyone's working from home uh, and or is more remote, I should say, things are, things are going changing faster than ever. Um, but there are some things that haven't changed as fast because of a variety of reasons. Um, one of which is buying a home or buying a car, which, you know, most kindergartners haven't done, but, you know, basically it involves, you know, first finding the home, but then getting the money for it and getting the money for it is this super complicated process. You have to walk into a bank branch, fill out a bunch of paperwork. A few weeks later, somebody gets back to you after a bunch of back and forth and says, you're approved or you're not, you can, you can buy this home or you can't, or you can buy this car, or you can't, or you can, you know, whatever it may be, the, the pro, whatever, whatever you're trying to do, they'll tell you, you can or can't do it in a few weeks. And that's still a very analog, it's a very complicated process um, for consumers. And, but that's changing really quickly, you know, partially due to COVID, partially there's this rise of, you know, fintechs. I think a lot of kids nowadays will probably use Robinhood. And I, you know, I, I walk down the street, I don't know if kindergarten or Robinhood, but lots of people who are younger are using Robinhood to trade, buy and sell stock. Um, and so, uh, that world changing fast, partially because of fintechs, partially because of COVID, partially because of a few other things where there's more technological capabilities to make that a simpler and more streamlined process. And um, and Blend is Blend is powering a lot of that. We work with fin. We, we are the ones making it so that when you buy that home or buy that car or open that bank account, we're the system that's helping power that financing, power that 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 change, power that account opening. And we do that for fintechs. We do that for banks. We do that for credit unions. We do that for the best real real estate companies, best home builders. Um, and we aim to make all of this so that you can do these things, you know, these parts of these processes on your phone in a few taps, just like all the things I mentioned at the beginning, the watching a DVD or, 
or hailing a cab. And eventually technology will help us get there and blend is, blend is that uh, financial services infrastructure that, that that's powering that. I mean, as a former teacher, I would say, you know how when you ask your parents if you can go to Disney World and they say, I'll get back to you on that. That's what buying a house is like. Now, imagine if they could answer that question right on the spot. My daughter would love that. Um, but so I'm interested in how you arrived at that. Um, I know you've talked about how your family had to save up for 10 years to buy the first house after you came to the United States. But I, I know that you were one of the first employees, I, I think you helped build the consumer division of Palantir, uh, which is another software company. And I'm curious, what led you to leave Palantir to start Blend? And maybe it's because I'm not as familiar with exactly what the consumer arm of Palantir does, but wh what did you see or how did you, how did you become aware of this need in the banking industry of all places, jumping from Palantir to there? Yeah, well, well, one of the other downsides of doing things the old-fashioned way, where there's a lot of paper and a lot of humans involved and a lot of back and forth, is that um, it opens the door for more mistakes and possibly more fraud, which uh, back in 2008, when I joined Palantir, it was the we were in the middle of a big financial crisis. And we hadn't been thinking about financial services that much at Palantir. We were thinking about trading and you know how to help you know some of the more modern use cases around trading and 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 quant hedge funds that were that were coming up and coming at the time. Uh, but then as that as the financial services collapse nearly happened because of the mortgage industry in two thousand eight, um, you know what you know th there was this there was a real push by our customers for us to help and see can we help these millions of consumers who have mortgages stay in their homes. And and it the, the short version is you know working with some of the biggest financial institutions in the world during the crisis opened my eyes to to two things one how many millions of families were impacted by this um, and positively when they got their home and negatively when they were potentially losing their home you know years years after they bought it but then and so the, the sheer scale of the problem or the 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 impact of the solution if there was one and then two. The, the technology that was being used was extremely primitive. I mean, the, the software infrastructure, I go back to the infrastructure, the infrastructure was built around paper. And so it made me realize that if there's $10 trillion just in mortgage debt or, or so, something around along those lines in mortgage debt, and it's powered by paper, um, what would it look like if we could restart and, and kind of start to build from the ground up what it would look like to be powered by data and make it a digital process and a mobile process? And so... Um, that's what, you know, over the, the four years I was a Palantir, that was what one of the things that I learned um, and ultimately started Blend in 2012 to do that. Specifically, we, you know, we started out in the mortgage era, area um, to help lenders who wanted to become digital first and data-driven. Data and we worked, with, we worked with lenders of all kinds. Again, fintechs, up-and-coming prop techs. There was, there was a huge revolution of companies that was just starting at that time. Um, and... And then we expanded over time because our customers wanted to do more with their with their consumers. They wanted to do personal loans and credit cards, and and you know you, you see the lending clubs and the upstarts driving banks and other credit um, institutions into personal loans and, and making sure that they they can all pl play a part in that. Um, and now you're seeing a big wave of buy now pay later. And so as we we became a core part of infrastructure for a lot of these companies, and they wanted to expand into other areas, they came to us and said, "Hey, can you help us with all these other things that we're doing?" And so we've become this this consumer center platform that helps the financial institution deliver those amazing experiences when opening these accounts. So it's, it, it's a good segue um, 
that you mentioned that the mortgage was where you started and then you saw all these other areas where you could focus. And, and you mentioned a couple of them, like personal loans, like buying a car. And I'm just wondering, can you touch on which one of those are the biggest, like what what percentage of, of what Blend Labs does now is mortgages? And I, I know I'm assuming that it, it aims to become less of it, not because the mortgage business goes down, but because the rest of them become more popular. So what are some of the other areas that you're focused on and like what percentage of what you do for banks is outside of mortgages right now? Sure. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we started in the first six, seven years of the company up until 2018, 2019, that was the only product we offered was this mortgage product. And then really two, three years ago, we started offering this and it's become the fastest growing part of our business. Again, not because mortgage is not growing. That's a, mm -hmm. that is a really great, you know, there's a lot of digital transformation happen there, not just in the, the way that those are engaged by and experienced by consumers, but all the ancillary parts of the process. You know, we, we, we can, you know, we, we did a, you know, title insurance is a, is a big, very complicated part of the process. That's not, consumers aren't even aware of, but it's expensive. And we, if we can make that better over time, it will drive um, a lot of efficiency and a lot of cost savings back to the consumer long-term. So there's, there's more we're doing in the, in the mortgage side, of course, because there's a lot still to, to solve there. You still, most of the, most of the mortgage process, even with all of our innovation is, is still a, a very analog process. So there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, but we did launch these products in the last two years to help expand across every product that a financial services firm might offer a consumer, personal loans, um, you know, credit cards, deposit accounts, car loans, home equity loans. Um, and now actually when we talk to most customers, we talk about being in the financial services firms, we talk about having one platform across all these products for your consumer. Because the, the obvious thing is they wanna be able to offer multiple products to their consumers because it's good for the consumer. They're not hunting for that next product. It's good for the bank. They are able to have better economics long-term with their customer. And you know it's it's good for Blend if we're that system that does all those things, and so and that also happens to be a lot of technology overlap, meaning you know if I if I give you a loan, I want to make sure you can pay back that loan, and so that's the same data, the same information that's required to understand whether I can give you a personal loan or a credit card and revolve on that, or uh, an auto loan or a a home loan of any kind. And that's the same information. I need to make sure that you, you are who you say you are. They're not defrauding the bank. All those capabilities, all those technologies are overlapping. So why have 10 of those instead of one piece of infrastructure that can do it? And so to answer your question, it is a smaller percentage of our business. It's the fastest growing part of our business relative to mortgage. I should say it's a smaller percentage, um, but it's pretty, pretty sizable. Actually, we do all the personal loans for um, some of the largest uh, financial services firms in, in, in the world right now. So we're and we're growing that that business because we think that that's an important part of um, the transformation that's going to come to to how consumers use uh, credit cards and things like that in the long run. Nima, uh, one thing that really impressed me when I was researching your company for the first time was some of the customers you've grabbed already: Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, M&T Bank, Open Door, Penny Mac. These are massive companies with you would think huge budgets on tech. Why, why would they need to use your service versus doing this in-house? Well, there, there are certain parts that I think that they should do in-house. You know, if, if, you, if you are a bank or a, or a fintech and you are engaging with your customers every single day to check their balance or to send them a new update or whatever it is, that mobile app you should own. It should be your experience, everything that you do. And all the, all the, 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 the storefront, if you will, I think should also be yours. Like that's not something that we, we care to do or want to do. 
Um, but what we help them do, and it's actually, it's even, it's even more impressive in some ways that the fintechs work with us and all the, like so many of the prop techs work with us too, because they not only have tech resources, but they have some of the best tech resources and tech is their differentiator. And so they still work with us because we do so many of the under the hood things where the infrastructure company helps you validate the income helps you understand how much down payment the person has, helps you understand the identity of the person, the fraud, all those components that it's, there is a best in class way to do those things. And they're so, those things are so complex. Think about income for a second. Understanding the income of a gig economy worker is complicated. Understanding the income of a W-2 worker, it's in 50 different systems. And usually it's done with pay stubs instead of with some modern digital way, which is what, what Blend does. And so, and those kinds of things, just that one piece alone, which is a tiny part of our infrastructure is extremely complicated. And so why go and rebuild those things? It doesn't matter if you're JP Morgan Chase or your Bank of America or your Wells Fargo or your city, or if you're a modern fintech who wants to get started and offer these best in class experiences, you need those kinds of capabilities to offer to your customers so that they don't have a terrible experience as they're going through your flows. And so we become the system that's powering a lot of those things. And we become a, a really um, an accelerator to their, their tech efforts, whether they're, again, a fintech or a bank or a credit union or a home builder. So Nima, um, would it be accurate? And I, I'm asking this question more on behalf of our members. Would it be accurate to say though, that you guys aren't making a loan risk assessment yourselves? What you're doing is you're aggregating all the necessary data and making the aggregation of all that data as seamless as possible. W would that be a fair differentiation? Yeah, the, I would say we don't determine the credit risk models. We don't determine if you should get a loan or not get a loan. But our system is the system that determines that using the bank or the credit union or fintech's policy. So they'll mm -hmm. input their policy in our system. And the mortgage, it's actually mostly Fannie, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's policy, which is done through our system. And those policies are executed by our system based on the data. So like you get, you know, if you are applying for a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a personal loan, you run through all that stuff. Um, the process, you know, that's powered by our system. Once we get the right information and it, it's very, again, getting that right information is actually very complex. Then we do the calculations in our system, and then we do the, the analysis of that um, decision, whether you're approved or not in our system, but it's not our policy and we're not, we're not the balance sheet. We're not the ones deciding um, you know, uh, who should get that next loan because that's really what we want the financial services firms to figure out. We want the product innovation in the sense of what financial products should be out there and who should get those things to come from those firms. And we want to be the infrastructure that powers that. Nima, one of the things that we think about as investors is long-term competitive positioning. One, and can this company grow at an above rate, average rate for a long period of time? One of the major categories that we look at is, is moat. One of the things that I think you guys have in spades is switching costs. Once a company gets using this technology, you get integrated, it's hard to switch away from you. However, in your investor presentation, one of the things that you call out is that you benefit from network effects. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So there's a couple things that are, are really important to us. Uh, going back to the, the moat thing, even though it's really hard to switch from us, we price our product in a way that it's really easy to get started and it's really easy to leave us if you wanted to. And yet we still have amazing retention of customers, both gross and net retention. And that's because we want to we want to lean on our product. Um, we want to make it so that we have the best product. There are no other firms that really do this, that serve as that layer of infrastructure across all the consumer products that these financial services firms offer in a, in a unified way. There, there is not any, so we want to be able to lean on that as our moat long-term, not, not, you know, something that's hard to, to change. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice short-term thing, but it's not a great long-term 
um, moat, I don't think. Um, maybe, maybe in some cases it is, but that's not what we want to lean on philosophically as a company because I think it could lead to us getting lazy and that's not what we want um, uh, to be perceived as. Um, as far as the network effects, you know, one of the beauties is that because we work at this massive scale, I think we, we, we announced that in our, in our quarterly earnings that we did 520,000 transactions last quarter, which to give you a sense of the mortgage industry, you know, this is of course, this is the only one that we have really good numbers for. There's only, you know, on an average year, 10 million of those. And so that's two and a half million a quarter. So we're doing pretty good scale, but because we do such big scale, there's certain scale effects that we get that we can offer better experiences than anybody else could offer and better cost in some cases than anybody else could offer, whether it's certain data providers or it's certain data ourselves that we gather, that we offer to the financial services firms to help them understand how to optimize their funnel, essentially. Like, how, how do you make sure that you convert the most customers you can? There's certain things that we get as the firm that has all this data on these millions of consu uh, on, uh, consumers. We don't use it for any purpose, any marketing purpose ourselves. We just use it to drive a better experience for our customers, the lenders. And that's something that we know that Nobody else can do because no one else even comes close to the scale that we do in this space. All right. So Nima, that's a, that's a good segue to my question. My next question, because you said there's really no one who does what you're doing. And I'm curious because when I, when I first heard about blend, the first time I was like, Oh, this is like Q2. And as I, I dug into it, I was like, no, this is, this is nothing like Q2. And then I was like, well, maybe it's a little bit like upstart making lending decisions. And I was like, no, they're not really making they're, they're, they're getting the data. And then the closest I could come was this is this reminds me a little bit of Ellie Mae, which used to be publicly traded. And now I believe is part of Intercontinental Exchange. I heard you just say there's no one who really does exactly what you're doing. Who who do you guys see as your closest competition? Then you know it goes back to the very first question that you that you said. We actually work with all those companies. Interesting, or, or I think we were all. I can't remember every company you mentioned, but I think we work with all those companies. And if not, we were maybe in the process of doing it. And the idea is like for a you know for a, a Q2, which is a digital banking uh, app that allows the the banks to offer a more modern you know day to day banking experience. Our offers or those kinds of things that to to apply for a loan are embedded in our in their app. And so you know we we want to be the infrastructure that powers opening all these accounts, not not necessarily the day-to-day -day thing. A lot of the bigger banks tend to build the day-to-day -day thing themselves. And I think I could see reasons why they why they should, because it is something that is their storefront, if you will. Um, uh, so, so I think that's that we, we tend to work with all those guys, but our biggest competition going back to the very first thing that you, you guys asked me about was why don't these people build this stuff themselves? And there is, I think, there is this perception of blend in some cases, and this is our primary competition, that we are somehow replacing things that, 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 that the teams at these financial institutions would do, whether it's a fintech or a bank, a big bank, small bank, whatever. And actually, we think of ourselves as just an accelerator and augmenter of the, the capabilities that they already have. And I think fixing that perception is a huge challenge for us. That's something that we're spending a lot of time with the CIOs and the chief digital officers and the CTOs of these financial services firms to help them understand how much we can augment their efforts and how much of the infrastructure we can provide out of the box that they don't have to go and reinvent. And then they can create those one tap offers that they want. They want to be able to have it so that you show up in, your, in, in their mobile app or in Q2's mobile or whatever. And there's an offer that says, your buying power for a home, whenever you're ready is $280,000. And you don't have to do it now. We just want you to know that is an incredibly, the amount of data that's needed for that 
the amount of decisioning and calculations required for that, the amount of uh, compliance and regulatory things that are required for that specific, that one little pain is so much, but that's what they want to be able to do. And that's, you know, the, the actual screen itself, like, I don't care about that screen. That's not our, but I think sometimes people perceive us as trying to take over that. And it's not, we're trying to be the infrastructure to power that. So that is a big piece of what I think was our competition, uh, but we've done a lot recently to, to help them understand how we help augment that and power that as opposed to be that for them. Uh, to my knowledge, you guys are primarily focused on the United States, if not exclusively focused on the United States. However, real estate, banking, credit, these are global things. Does Blend Labs have international ambitions? Well, I think our, our mission would you know, sort of require it in the sense that if we're going to make financial services and financial wellness for the billions of consumers in the world uh, more accessible and uh, you know, more commonly utilized, in the world, we have to go international at some point. Now, one, one of the things about my story that you, you, you mentioned earlier was, you know, my parents did get a mortgage. We, we moved to this country. I, I moved to this country uh, when I was less than one year old with my parents and my sister. And for the first 10 years or so of us living here, we were renting, you know, paying, let's call it $1,000 a month. I, can't, I don't know the exact number. And then about 10 years in, they learned that they could get this, this, this mortgage to buy a home. And for a few thousand dollars down, the, the, the financial services system actually is mind-blowingly good in, in the United States in the sense that for a few thousand dollars, they were able to buy a you know, $100,000 home in Cincinnati where I grew up. And that few thousand dollars, then they added $1,000 a month in, in mortgage payments instead of rent. So the, the monthly payments didn't change much. And 20 years later, that $3,000 plus the $1,000 a month in, in, in rental payments they would have paid anyways, turned into $200,000. So they got a 70X return in... 20 years. I mean, that's, that is, it's really, and, it, and by the way, they had this asset that they could live in and made their lives better too, this home. So it's, it's this system where financial services is, you know, probably negatively looked upon by the world in the sense that like, you know, that generally I think people don't understand it and don't, don't think that there's good actors there, but when utilized properly, banking is incredibly important for the advancement of society. It allows for people to do the, to be more financially well off in a growing global economy and eventually get the freedom like my parents had to not have to worry about those monthly payments or those, the, the, uh, those kinds of things. And so, yeah, so, so, do, so the short answer to your question about international, it, it is absolutely a requirement for us to eventually go international. I don't know exactly when. Um, we have a lot of work to do in the US and we wanna make sure we're doing a great job for our customers here first and continue to expand with them first before we go internationally. And I just say, Brian's going to ask the next question, but you get 10 points for me for saying the word, our mission. <laughs> that made, right. really made me light up because I love it when CEOs are making decisions according to missions. Yeah, that's a big thing that Brian and I harp on a lot. Um, I love that answer too, by the way, but I, I want to dive back into the weeds for one second, which is that I know that you guys have um, a blend, um, uh, pun intended, between subscription and usage-based revenue. Can you just explain the difference and where specifically where that usage-based revenue comes from? Well, in, in some ways, all of our revenue is on a, on a transaction basis okay. in the sense that when you open one of these accounts or get one of these loans at one of our financial services partners, one of the 300 or so that we have, you know, we, we collect this very small fee for, from the financial services firm for powering that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so, and our thesis is as 
we make this the software layer for this better and better and better over time. And eventually these transactions become more available and more accessible to the many people who are not being paid attention to by financial services or don't know about financial services, the amount of transactions will continue to grow because people will take advantage of the system for their benefit in a good way. Um, and so we want to charge per unit. The other thing that does is that allows us to align with the, the success of our customers, which is we don't want to charge them millions of dollars and have them do no loans on our system because they couldn't figure it out. And so we, we charge per unit. Now, the reason we have some quote unquote subscription revenue is some of our customers are, are like, look, we're doing a ton of volume with you. Can we guarantee you some of that volume so that then we get a slightly lower rate? So instead of you know $80, we get $70 a unit. And if we do $70 a unit, then you know we'll guarantee you 100,000 units, whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason it looks like we have some subscription revenue. We have some guaranteed minimums in the contracts based on our, based on our customer relationships. So really, in essence, it, it would be fair to say that you guys are, are primarily a usage-based model. I, I think that usage-based models, consumption-based, value-based models, success-based models are the future of all software. Yeah. Because it, if I, as a CEO of a company who buys a lot of software, we buy a lot of software at Blend, I prefer software companies that let me pay as I go based on usage or, or you know, guarantee some usage, but then pay for that usage um, than ones that make me charge, that charge me a huge upfront fee and a big commitment just to get started. In fact, I, many times I tell those companies, no, I would rather not. And so it's a competitive advantage to have a, this, this optimal pricing model. And by the way, because of that, we actually get paid more. Um, by our customers because they are taking we're, we're taking the risk off the table for them, so it becomes better for all sides because by taking the risk out of the equation, you can charge a little bit more, and that becomes a benefit to both sides. Love that. Uh, we only have time for one question left, and I want to end by talking about uh, Blend's corporate culture. Uh, Brian and I are huge believers, and the Motley Fool is huge believers that culture is really what matters in the long term. What's distinctive about Blend? Well, it goes back to what I said. I, I think that there are are many hundreds of millions of maybe even billions. Actually, there are definitely billions of people worldwide who are not able to get the benefits of the financial services system that the people on this call are are able to get. You know, and I mean, people who don't have access to bank accounts, don't have access to simple things that they would they would that would make their lives a lot simpler and a lot better in the very long run. And so, you know, we start with that as our core mission, as the things that we care about, we want to drive. So we're a very consumer focused company in that sense, even though we work through enterprises, we know that they are focused on the consumer. And so by us being focused on the consumer, we are completely aligned on what we want to deliver. Um, and I think it's good for, the, good for the entire industry. It's good for consumers. It's good for everyone. It's a win for everyone if we can make technology, make this more simple and more transparent to, to the billions of people in the world. But then I think one thing that's really unique about our culture Around that is that we are because we're in one industry, and we have one set of customers in that industry, and it's a fairly small set of customers. And, and you know, some some companies, software companies, have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. You know, we have three hundred, which to me that's a lot because there's not a million banks in the United States. Um, but but because we have such a concentrated customer base, we are one of the most we are the most customer focused company that I've ever seen. We spend so much time with our customers. I just spent two weeks on the road. I was in 15 cities in a 10 day period with our customers because I just, I know that they're the reason that we are here today. They trusted us to be that infrastructure to then serve their end consumer. Um, And I also know that as we continue to build things to modernize the infrastructure of this industry, they're going to be the first ones to do more with us over time. And so 
you know, when we think, talk about retention numbers being really good, it's not, it's not like that's a, the focus is not retention. The focus on driving value for those customers. And that leads to all the good outcomes for us, where we have high, high addition, additions of customers, customers who are working with us, do more with us and, and buy more products from us and use that to serve more of their customers. Nima Gamsari, this has been a really interesting half an hour. I, uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate you taking the time to come here. Um, is there anything else you want to leave with our members uh, about Blend Labs before before we wrap up the the interview? No, I just think you know it, it's. I, I feel like we're one of these companies that we like being under the under the hood. We like being behind the scenes, and so it's really special to be able to share the story with with a broader audience today. Awesome. Well, congratulations on coming public. And uh, I would say good luck, but I don't think you guys need it. It seems like you are headed in the right direction. And we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Brian. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on!